Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, Dave here. Just wanted to hop on and say that the episode you're about to hear was a panel discussion that I moderated back in March for the Future of Hearing Healthcare virtual conference that the group over at Hearing Health Matters put on. Um, A really, really good conversation. I just listened back to it and uh, really found it enjoyable. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to our panel discussion here today for the Future of Hearing Health virtual conference. My name is Dave Kemp. I am the Director of Business Development at Oak Tree Products. I also cover emerging technology pertinent to the hearing health industry with my blog and podcast, Future Ear. And I'm so excited for this panel discussion today because we're going to be discussing the future of hearing devices. And to kick things off, I'm going to let each of the four panelists introduce themselves, uh, kind of going one by one. So we'll start with you, ladies first, uh, Annette. Thanks, Dave. My name is Annette Majewski. I'm the Manager of Technology Assessment at Oticon. I've been there almost 10 years now. Um, I do a lot of work related to um, the uh, the testing and some of the validation behind the scenes for our hearing aid products. I also do a lot related to verification. Uh, and I have both my AUD and my PhD, so I guess you can say I'm a little bit of a glutton for punishment. I'm not sure. And, uh, and uh, my other interests outside of hearing aids happen to be related to the aging population, particularly related to working memory, cognition, and listening effort. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Annette. Uh, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. Good to be here uh, with everyone. Uh, I'm Ryan Crodel. I head up marketing for a company called Valencell. And Valencell makes the biometric sensor technology that goes into wearable devices of all kinds. So the easy way to think about it is the green blinking lights on the back of a smartwatch or a fitness band. That's very likely uh, Valencell technology. And um, those sensors are, of course, measuring things like heart rate and heart rate variability and a bunch of other um, biometric signals from uh, the body of the, the wear of the device. Um, and most people think about wearables as smartwatches and fitness bands, but as we'll get into more here in this discussion, this uh, type of sensor technology is getting uh, embedded into a broad range of different devices and use cases, uh, including hearing aids and, and hearing health use cases. Awesome. Brent? Thanks, Dave. Uh, great to be here with everyone. Uh, I'm Brent Edwards. I'm the head of the National Acoustic Laboratories down in Australia. I've spent uh, all my career, except for right now, uh, working in the hearing aid industry. I was the head of research and technology at uh, Resound uh, and at Starkey, and uh, I worked at at CTO and a couple Silicon Valley hearing device startups. So looking forward to the discussion. Perfect. And last but not least, Kevin. Dave, I'm happy to be here with with all of you. Um, I am uh, Kevin Seitz-Fiket. I'm the director of the Phonak Audiology Research Center. Uh, We're more affectionately known as PARC. We are in the Chicago area. uh, And our focus within Phonak is to 
uh, provide some pre-market validation and claim substantiation uh, studies to accompany our products and uh, demonstrate uh, how they benefit the user, uh, but then also to conduct some studies on emerging technology to prove out the feasibility or the promise of some new uh, technology or signal processing strategy. So we do a little bit of work across the entire uh, bandwidth. And I'm happy to bring that uh, point of view today to this discussion. Fantastic. Well, I'm so happy that all of you were able to join. Um, I just think this is going to be a fantastic conversation, you know, really exploring uh, the innovation that's happening with all of the different devices that fill this industry. And I think that I say all the different devices because there really are a wide variety of them. And, and so I figure as a way to sort of kick the conversation off, um, given that we have Brent Edwards here with us, who um, has done a lot of research throughout his career on, you know, sort of the segmentation of devices. Um, I recently read your Market Track 10 um, piece of research, Brent. And in that, I thought you did a great job of sort of breaking down the different types of devices, who those devices are typically um, catered for. And so I thought to set the stage and allow for us to kind of dive into specific devices, um, we could start with, you know, kind of a high level overview of some of the findings that you had uh, throughout that uh, piece of research. Sure, happy to talk. And, and apologies if my video is a little laggy. It's a long way from Australia to uh, no problems. <laughs> um, yeah. So one one thing that was quite interesting about Market Track last year, Market Track Ten, was this was the first time that we included questions about OTC hearing aids, over the counter, direct to consumer hearing aids. And you know, some of what we found is reinforced what I think a lot of us have thought for a while, and that's the value that the audiologist brings to the treatment and the relationship with the client when asking people either with hearing aids or those who have hearing loss but don't have hearing aids what they think the uh, value that a professional brings to uh, being successful with the hearing aid most people said that they were quite important and when asked you know the next time you get a hearing aid would you rather just get it yourself uh, direct to consumer most people said no so, you know, there's been a lot of angst around what's going to happen when the OTC uh, legislation or the FDA defines OTC and gives us the regulations. Um, and, you know, what, what, I've, what I ar I've argued for a while is that it's, it's not going to cannibalize the traditional model because people who are, are, are the traditional client and patient that audiologists see need help. You know, they're not gonna be very successful on their own. They need a lot of guidance. They need a lot of counseling. They need a lot of encouragement and understanding of this help, what is ultimately a healthcare issue. And, and this is part of the, 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 the issue when people look at hearing aids, they think, oh, it's a consumer product. I can build the same thing and sell it at Walgreens or Best Buy and be just as successful. Maybe for someone with a mild loss or even negligible loss, but have hearing difficulty, not if you've got a moderate to more hearing loss. I think you really need a healthcare professional to help you there. The data is uh, showing that. And so where OTCs and hearables, I think will have a big impact is providing a solution for the large market of people out there who are not refusing to see audiologists for some reason, refusing to get hearing aids. They need hearing help for whatever reason, they're rejecting the traditional path to help and hearables and OTC hearing aids will be solutions for that group because they meet different unmet needs of that segment. 
Yeah, that was one of the big takeaways I had too when I was reading your uh, your piece was that there was um, you know all of the the survey respondents indicated that um, ultimately they you know a, a high portion of them I think it was in the 80s, uh, 80 percentile said that they would prefer to go and see a, a hearing healthcare professional um, especially those that have been fit with a hearing aid they said that they would be fit again with a professional so I think it speaks to the value of the professional. And um, I do think that there's a strong case to be made that the professional should be integral in that. And I'm curious though, with the OTC side, you know, with that lower end where they really are not seeing a professional, in your opinion, um, how, how does the professional factor in to that end? Is it something where it's just in time that they become um, someone that, you know, as they graduate into higher degrees of, um, into severity, or is there an opportunity for the provider to be a little bit more involved, um, with the lower losses, if you will? Yeah. So that's, it's, it's a great question. First of all, you know, audiologists see a lot of people with, with negligible, uh, measurable hearing loss coming into their clinics. Uh, Hearing Australia, the largest service provider in Australia, something like 30% of the people who come to their clinics have less than a 25 dB hearing loss. So you would say they're not eligible for a hearing aid, but they're showing up asking for hearing help. So what's going on? They they need a solution. The, qu- the question is, a lot of people are, are wondering, should, as an audiologist or as a cl- uh, hearing care provider, should I be offering hearables or an OTC product to the people who come in I recommend a hearing aid and they say no. I'm gonna argue that um, if they say no to your recommendation, they'll probably say no to an OTC product as well because the people who really need OTCs aren't coming to see you in the first place. So, you know, they're not even walking through the door. Uh, hearables, it's it's unclear because of the brand recognition there. That it might be something that fits into the ALD category. But if you think about the, the different market segments, people transition from one segment to another. You could start with a normal audiogram, but abnormal difficulty as you age, you will start to get more and more hearing loss. You'll move into different segments and eventually, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll be in your seventies and you'll be in the classic market segment for the traditional hearing aid and audiologist. So I, I do think you, you might get hearing help earlier. It will have all those downstream effects, benefits on cognition and, and, and balance and so on. And, and you're in the game, you're getting more uh, accept, acceptable of acceptance, accepting of technology. Whether that'll accelerate, whether you see uh, an audiologist and get a traditional hearing aid or not, it remains to be seen. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. So why don't we start by looking at the hearing aid end of the spectrum, right? Like if we're looking at this as sort of a, just a, you know, a degree of of sophistication of the devices, let's start with the most sophisticated being the hearing aids. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the recent innovations that's taken place at places like Oticon, at Phonak. Um, So starting with you, Annette, um, what is currently uh, going on inside Oticon? I know that you recently came out with the Oticon more. It uses deep neural networks. So that might be a good segue into talking about this sort of recent wave of uh, implementation of, you know, artificial intelligence and whether you, you know, it seems like there's a million different names for that machine learning and, you know, deep neural networks, obviously there are different facets of that, but it, and everybody uses AI as kind of the catchphrase, but I'm curious to hear about um, the way that you're all kind of looking at 
innovation right now and, and what's on the docket at Oticon? Sure. Thanks, Dave. So uh, as you were asking about artificial intelligence, there's definitely a lot of different subsets that, uh, that can make up what is artificial, artificial intelligence. And uh, with that, you know, in the hearing industry or in the field of audiology in general, we can look at not just um, machine learning, but there's also natural language processing and robotics. And then, you know, the subset underneath machine learning happens to be deep neural nets. And I'll get to that in just a second. But um, the one thing I do want to stress, because I know that there could be some concerns about, you know, artificial intelligence and, and you know, the applicability behind it. But um, if you think about everything that is around you, even right now, we're actually using artificial intelligence quite a bit. So if you have, you know, an Alexa home or if you have Google Home, I mean, that's part of natural language processing. If you're using um, your, your autocorrect uh, when you're sending a text message, that's uh, artificial intelligence uh, at play there as well. With our deep neural net, um, and actually just going back a little bit just to the machine learning, Oticon has been using artificial intelligence for quite a while, ever since the synchro days. And uh, we were using that with the, uh, the life learning tool that, uh, that was in the synchro, synchro product uh, back about 15 years ago. Uh, with all that said, as things have evolved with you know, our hearing fitness app, and now we're at deep neural nets, what we're trying to do and what the hearing it is essentially trying to do is help in those situations where it's not just about you know, so solving the, the noise problem, but rather looking at complex listening environments and how to best differentiate all the different sounds that you have within those environments. And um, one of the best examples or one of the best analogies that I like to use, especially when it comes to deep neural nets is uh, if you're playing the game of chess. So as you're talking about a deep neural net or as a deep neural net is trying to learn, you have essentially an input and you also have an output. And it's those hidden layers in the middle that's trying to figure out how you're getting to that end point. So in the game of chess, what you're actually trying to do is ultimately capture the king, right? And so you have all these different types of combinations and permutations that you're starting from at the beginning to get to that end point. So over time it's learning and it's receiving all this input. And by the end of it, again, the goal here is to, to capture the king. And so that's kind of like, you know, an example outside of the, uh, the hearing industry or outside of audiology that, that might give you a better idea visually of what potentially a deep neural net might be doing. Within the actual sound scene though, again, as you're looking at all of these different environments and all these different sounds, I should say, within the environment, the goal there is to not just make sure that you can place where everything is, but you're also able to maintain uh, and keep everything balanced within the environment and also keep it accurate as possible. So it has that first layer and it's actually taking pretty basic pieces of information from the sound environment and then is going through again those hidden layers and providing you with that output uh, again to maintain the integrity within the environment. So it's, it's pretty robust. It's definitely different than what we've done in previous generations. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool because I, I think that the more that you can lean on the the you know the device itself to be in real time making adjustments, sort of invisible to the user, but that the user's patient experience, you know, that their overall experience is just that much better. Um, I think is a net benefit, and uh, so I guess you know staying along this this 
line of thought talking about AI and, you know, obviously there's a number of different devices today that tout different aspects to this. Um, you know, I'll let anybody here jump in, but how, how do we think that, um, AI in general, what, what is the, the next few years look like? What possibilities um, have we just scratched the surface on um, or are we moving into those directions? I mean, what are, are the tangible ways in which you think that uh, this will kind of manifest itself in the, the products on the market, whether it be hearing aids or on the more consumer end of the market? Curious of how you all are thinking about this in terms of the general direction of how AI applications are making their way to ear level devices. Go for it, Brent. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I think our whole world is going to be uh, machine learning in some way in every single product that we use. Uh, the breakthroughs that are happening is extraordinary. One ex another example in our field is a San Francisco startup called Whisper AI. These are a group of machine learning people from, uh, you know, Facebook and Amazon. They don't know anything about hearing or, or speech or signal processing. They just applied AI to massive amounts of, of speech data to, to develop a, a hearing aid. Uh, there was a press release last week that Google uh, is applying massive resources to developing a hearable, again, using machine learning. So it's going to become commonplace in devices. Where it's really interesting, I think, is in the clinical side. So AI is about uh, taking information and coming out with uh, sort of uh, decisions. And you, you think about what the audiologist does, um, there, there eventually will be an AI component in the clinical treatment pathway. Oh, yeah. Whether that's you know, taking demographic data uh, and trying to determine risk. Uh, may maybe it's, it's this elusive you know, hidden hearing loss uh, who knows what, but I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of opportunity for AI to make its way in as an assistant, uh, as a, a, a something that the clinician uses to in, improve and in, enhance the treatment of their client and provide more personalized care. Very interesting. Go for it, Kevin. Uh, uh, I would just, you know, I, I think another area that um, you might be tempted to sort of sleep on and miss out is uh, there's there's the AI and machine learning that's going to be brought in directly into uh, hearing technology or into diagnostics and be very tangible and obvious to the professional who's using these devices. Uh, but we all know, I think we've all had plenty of uh, either excitement or eye rolls at how interconnected hearing aids and hearing devices are with all of the other technology that patients use in their daily lives. And there's a lot of really interesting functionality that's even today already exposed directly or indirectly to the hearing aid. And I think that's going to be a huge future direction as well, where there's maybe not so much sense in having an ear level device running some really sophisticated algorithm when you've got a strong connection to essentially a supercomputer in your pocket at all times. And, uh, and you know, even just to look at some examples that exist today, there are already hearing aids today that uh, can, can act as like a gateway for your Google Assistant or Siri, uh, where you can ask questions and get information back. And, and that's just sort of a taste of some of the features that will be exposed uh, to your patients, whether, whether you even realize it or not, because uh, that's, it'll just be the nature of having that connection between the device, the ear level device and, and the phone. Ryan. 
Yeah, I, I, I'll just jump in with with our perspective from a from a sensor standpoint. We uh, we're heavily us- utilizing data science broadly and, and machine learning in particular, uh, and applying that to these biometric data sets, and um, that has en- enabled us to make significant advancements in what can be determined from the same signals and the same. Uh, sensors that we've been putting into wearable devices for 10 years now. And the, the latest example of that being the ability to, to measure blood pressure with these this same type of sensor. We, we never would have gotten to be able to, to measure uh, blood pressure uh, as accurately as a cuff without the combination of the biometric sensor data and uh, applying machine learning techniques to identify those features that line up with the, the blood pressure readings. And so um, it, it's it's critical uh, to what we do every day and getting more and more critical. The data science team and our organization is the fastest part of our company, fastest growing part of our company. Yeah, yeah. All the conversations I've ever had with you, that always is my takeaway is it's like the data science aspect to it is really what's allowing for new metrics to be captured. Just like you said, with the blood pressure readouts now, um, it's not as if you're capturing new data. It's just that you're able to assess it in in more efficient ways, you know, by leveraging the data science that goes behind it. Um, so Annette, it looked like maybe you have one more point to this as well. Yeah, I just wanted to add, um, you know, going back to Brent's comment uh, about the about the uh, interaction between the patient and the uh, hearing care professional in in their office or in their clinic or wherever they are. I mean, this can be actually twofold because in terms of artificial intelligence, you can actually take it a step further and and provide um, enhancements to the actual office as well. You know, there's a lot of things in terms of efficiencies that you can do in the front part of the office as well as the back part of the office. But on top of that, when the patient's wearing the devices out and about, you know, if you're looking down the road, for example, this could also be related to the sensors that, that Ryan was discussing that, um, you know, you could have this information that's being more or less gathered or that's, you know, being received by the hearing aid. And that can actually, you know, depending on, you know, uh, privileges, you know, you can have that be sent back to the hearing care provider. And then they can actually keep track if if the patient is willing to, to have that, to see if, if there is something, you know, awry, if there is, you know, an issue related to, you know, how often they're adjusting their, their volume control, for example, or changing programs in these different types of environments that they're in. So as things are getting smarter and as things continue to progress, these are some of the things that, you know, that could definitely be considered down the road. Yeah, I definitely want to come back to some of those points that you just made, because I think it will tie into when we talk to uh, some of the different remote services aspect of things and some of the innovation that's happening there. I think it ties in really nicely to what you mentioned. Um, But this does now conclude the live portion of the panel. Um, So for the remainder of the panel, you can go to the YouTube link that we will send out uh, where you'll be able to review the rest of this. Um, So I do want to actually now go to sensors um, because we obviously have uh, Ryan here who's extremely knowledgeable about this space. So Ryan, can you share with us first off why the ear is such a great place to capture biometric data? And then can you then speak to the type of uh, data that's being captured today? And then maybe even go one step further and say what's on the horizon for where you think this is going next? 
Uh, yeah. How long, how much time do we have? <laughs> well, just try to kind of keep it at a high level, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'll, uh, I'll summarize pretty quickly. So um, just to kind of set the stage around what's going on from a sensors and a wearable standpoint, there's as for anyone who's watching the space, you, you see this convergence going on of consumer wearables and true health and medical devices. And what's interesting is what's going on at the ear is sort of at the forefront of that convergence, and both from the consumer hearable side as well as the, the hearing health device side of things. And there's three things that are primarily driving that from a, from a sensor standpoint. One is um, the ear happens to be one of the best places on the body to measure biometric signals with uh, this optical sensor technology that has come to, to dominate wearable devices. And there's a variety of different reasons for that, mostly um, physiological, that uh, just human physiology of the ear and the way the body moves it makes it a, um, a great place to measure biometric, biometrics. So you can get a great signal off of the ear. Um, and which enables you to do things um, and get depth in that signal that um, you can't get on other places on the body, including the wrist. People love to wear things on the wrist, but it's a pretty terrible place to, to measure biometrics. So that's one thing, the ear's a great place. Second thing is um, the, the long-term wearability, particularly of hearing aids and, and hearing health devices. The, that enables much uh, a, a deeper picture, a much broader picture of how an individual's body is responding to what they're doing throughout their daily activities. And so that is uh, also different, uh, certainly more so on the hearing aid side versus the consumer hearable side of things. And that's uh, an advantage from this standpoint from uh, as it relates to, to hearing health devices. Um, but third, and, and probably most importantly, in terms of what's driving this, is um, the, the comorbidities associated with hearing loss. And um, the, uh, all of the, the, the top um, uh, causes of death around the world uh, are associated with or correlated to hearing health. So you look at um, the comorbidities associated with hearing loss, 3x um, higher risk of falls, 3x higher risk of cardiovascular disease, 5x risk of dementia. Those are all correlations, not causations, of course, but um, to the extent with the sensor technology, you can get an earlier picture of uh, the, those potential disease states and, and have people taking evasive action earlier, the better, uh, and then also making it easier for them to manage on an ongoing basis. Yeah, no, I think you you summarized that really well. So, um, Kevin, I know that with Phonak, you guys are using some pretty cool uses of the inertial sensors. I know, um, you know, with the accelerometer in some of the new hearing aids that you have, um, I think it ties into the the broader theme of sensor fusion. But can you talk a little bit about how you all are using those uh, accelerometers and and what that's more or less enabling for those? For those patients that have them, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, you know, going back to uh, the, the earlier portion of this panel, we had talked a little bit about how um, you know one of the hardest jobs of a good hearing aid, uh, and also one of the most important, is to be able to uh, be proactive and predict what the user is going to need in terms of the uh, the auditory signal that it's providing, um, and and to be able to 
be act as seamless as possible. So it's not like a burden to have to walk through different acoustic scenes and make all kinds of adjustments. You know, the, the hearing aid should be able to do that on its own. Uh, and so what, what we've started to do now with our latest product, uh, Paradise, which was launched at the end of 2020, uh, we're actually using, using an accelerometer to understand if the user is in motion or seated. And we're combining that with what we know from the acoustics of the environment to try and help uh, make better decisions about the way the microphone steering should behave. So if somebody's not in motion and it's a really noisy environment, chances are they're in what would be more of a tip, typical, if there is such a thing as typical, uh, a conversation in a noisy environment. Uh, and, and we know in that case that directional microphone, microphones provide a great deal of benefit. But uh, if you then think about, you know, the same patient walking through a noisy shopping mall and trying to have good, good awareness of what's going on around them, uh, maybe awareness of what a spouse or a friend is saying, talking as they're walking next to them, uh, the acoustics would tell that same hearing aid, like, okay, let's zero in as, as tight of a beamformer right in front of me as I possibly can. Uh, and that would probably be one of the worst things that could happen to that patient in that environment when they're trying to be aware. So uh, the, the accelerometer in this case actually allows us to understand, no, this person is in motion. Uh, and in that context, even in a noisy place, one of the most important things is for them to have awareness from all around. So we can open that beamformer up and really allow, uh, allow closer to an omnidirectional signal to come through. Uh, it also, you know, it allows for some sort of fun kind of convenience type features like being able to control the hearing aid with a tap. So if you have patients that have poor dexterity, you know, that's, that's also something that's uh, pretty prevalent within the population of typical hearing aid users is poor dexterity or poor feeling in the fingers and finding those buttons might be difficult. So uh, it's uh, probably maybe a smaller feature, something more along the lines of a convenience factor, but it could be a, a really important feature for some, the right type of patient to be able to just smack their ear and make a change as opposed to finding the button. Yeah, no, I think those are great, great examples. Uh, and I know Brent uh, wants to to chime in here on this topic <laughs> as well. Um, so go ahead, Brent. All right, thanks, Dave. And, you know, I, I, I really love the way that technology is advancing and, and what Phonic has done. It's, it's really clever and great engineering. But what, what's interesting from a, a patient perspective is we're starting to see technology that is not just about their hearing loss, but is also about their lifestyle. So you have certain features and technologies that are really about, again, it's not, it's not about your hearing loss per se, it's more about convenience, about enabling other things in your life that, that you can do. And it's also starting to broaden to, um, to other comorbidities and other aspects of healthcare. I know Phonak talks a lot about balance, the high correlation between hearing loss and balance. And it raises the interesting question of what role does the audiologist play when it comes to other uh, healthcare issues that are related to hearing loss. So if you know someone who's seeing you has a five times more likely likelihood of having a severe fall, um, should, you, should you do anything about it? I think, I think that we don't have an answer to that yet, but I think we're going to be answering the, that over the next few years. Yeah. And I'll just throw in um, back to that point around sensor fusion as it relates to biometrics. This is um, something that we heavily utilize in, um, in the integration of this kind of technology into all kinds of different devices. But as it relates to um, hearing health devices and hearables more broadly, 
you, you can do some interesting things with sensor fusion that identify um, what the individual is doing or provide some ideas of what the individual is doing and whether or not the biometric signal is a good thing or a bad thing. So just as an example, if someone's heart rate is spiking and they, you see a lot of movement from the accelerometer, maybe someone's climbing a set of stairs or going for a walk or jog, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if someone is sitting still uh, and their heart rate is spiking, that's a very different situation that um, should require a very different response. Yeah, Kevin, did you have something? Uh, yeah, I was uh, just going to come at the same question from the point of view of the provider. Uh, and, you know, I think I can only speak uh, from the point of view of a, a, an American audiologist. I don't know what the situation might be like in other countries if we have international uh, members of the audience. So bear with me if this sounds totally off base for your, uh, your market. Um, but at least in the U.S., I think hearing care providers have really struggled to present themselves as members of a broader healthcare community. I think um, a, a lot of patients, um, at least I know, you know, my family members who are at the age where they need to start uh, thinking about hearing aids um, until, um, until I ended up in audiology that the feeling among those family members was more like, you know, the people who sell hearing aids are, uh, you know, they're slick salespeople, they're charlatans, but they're not necessarily healthcare providers in the same way that an optometrist is thought of as, as an eye doctor. And I, I can't help but uh, wonder if as sensors that have broader functionality and, and that support healthcare decision-making outside of just hearing healthcare come into play in, this, in, in devices, uh, that audiologists and, and hearing aid dispensers are recommending and using, if that won't provide the opportunity to say, you know, look, I'm, I'm a member of your healthcare team. I specifically am helping you with your hearing and your quality of life as it relates to communication. But the devices I'm providing you are also helping your cardiologist or uh, your, your physical therapist or whoever else it is who's relevant. Uh, and to really, you know, elevate the status of the hearing care professional to something that hasn't really been achieved uh, thus far. Yeah, I think it it sort of ties in, in my mind, at least to Annette's point earlier, where, um, you know, part of what's so exciting, in my opinion, about the general direction of things is this combination of ubiquity of like smartphones and the connectivity that comes along with it. And now what we're seeing is sort of this phase of the implementation of data capture. And I think there's lots of different kinds of data that you can capture, right? You can capture the data that's actually being um, the acoustic data that's being captured through the hearing aids, which tells a story, a lot of the different biometric data that's captured through, you know, the sensors that Ryan's company makes um, and on and on and the sensor fusion that goes along with it, because these things in isolation might be telling you one thing, but when you see the fuller picture, it's, it's a totally different story. And, and I think what's really exciting about this um, is that it presents an opportunity, like you said, Kevin, I think to be part of a, a broader healthcare ecosystem and an I think that there's a huge opportunity here that's building for the provider of the future to be a liaison of the data that they're capturing and and help to um, I guess communicate at you know large. Um, here's kind of like all the different context clues that I'm getting about this particular person and 
in some HIPAA compliant fashion, be able to share that with fellow fellow doctors that are part of that team, whether it be the general physician or it be with the cardiologist, like you said. Um, I just think that as a uh, device that's kind of a all day worn device that's capable of capturing more and more things. I think that it's, there's an increasing, I think it's becoming increasingly more compelling for the broader healthcare system. So what do you, you want to tie onto that, Annette? Yeah, because I mean, there's definitely going to be uh, more of an opportunity for a multidisciplinary approach. And, and, you know, when, it, if we're talking about something like a little off topic here, for example, with tinnitus, you know, you have like a pretty defined category of individuals that, you know, you might also be in collaboration with, you know, be it a psychologist or um, a dentist or, or even a physical therapist. And so this is another way of, um, opening up, you know, not just, you know, the field of audiology and, and, and everything that is done within the field of audiology to other individuals, but they can actually see how those interactions between their fields and, and, and what we do uh, be represented as well. Yeah, I think that's, that's the way I'm thinking about this as well. Um, so changing directions a little bit here, um, the big companies, the big tech titans, uh, are seemingly more and more relevant every single day to this industry. As Brent mentioned earlier, you know, we just saw Google announce that um, this project Wolverine and a lot of these things you have to sort of caveat and say that, you know, there's always these moonshot projects that seem to be going on and some of them manifest, some of them don't. Um, but I do think that we're seeing a increasing amount of attention, whether it be from Apple, Google, Facebook labs. Um, so, there seems to be this focus on this industry and, and, and being able to use the, the, a lot of the innovation that, that Silicon Valley is infamous for um, and applying it you know, in different ways. And so I'm curious to sort of get your thoughts. Uh, maybe we'll start with you, Brent, as to how you see those companies either um, you know, pre- presenting their own solutions or do you think that they're more of ecosystem enablers um, for example, Apple Health, you know, being home to maybe the data repository that a lot of this information resides on. Um, what, what's your thoughts as to how we should all be thinking about these companies? Sure. You know, I, I think the vision for the future and what everyone is racing to is a world where every person is wearing something on their ear all day long. Uh, right now, so Simon Carlisle, uh, who's who uh, is at Google X, he was, did replace me at Starkey as the head of the Starkey Hearing Research Center, um, gave a presentation this weekend at AAS and he cited the astounding fact that there's over 350 audio related startups in Silicon Valley and $1.4 billion in venture capital invested into it. So audio is, is huge right now because everyone's realizing it's, it's, you know, a, it's a very easy way, a frictionless way of interacting with someone with through hearing and speech. So they're all driving to a world where everyone's wearing an ear level device to hear your texts, emails, you know, ask Siri, whatever. In that world, as you start to have hearing difficulty, there'll be a feature that is the speech enhancer. You know, something that really is designed has hearing aid features, but they don't call it a hearing aid. And that's the gateway to hearing help. Um, Look, AirPod Pros have those already. You can put your audiogram on your iPhone and your AirPods will do multi-band compression 
in transparency mode. So they're functioning as hearing aids. And at, at uh, NAL, we've done some measures of the gain in compression that they do. And, you know, the fitting prescription is very weird. They don't use NL2. But, um, you know, they're, they're, they're functioning like a, a, an open fit, you know, hearing aid with a mild amount of gain. So Google, Amazon, Facebook, they don't want to service the person with moderate to severe hearing loss, but they want to give people solutions. And so they're going to produce ear level products for the whole market. They're going to layer on that some solutions for a mild amount of hearing loss. And, you know, that'll be most people's entryway into hearing health. But I'm still a firm believer that, you know, hearing loss is a medical condition. You need some medical treatment when it's severe enough. And I don't think any of those giants want to get into that area where you have to deal with bone conduction and red flag conditions and, you know, all the issues that audiologists deal with every day. Right. The, the actual implementation of a FDA grade medical device. Um, right. I think you're right there. What about the rest of you? What, how are you thinking about Apple, Google, Facebook, any number one of these companies? I mean, Brent's point, $1.4 billion in, uh, in venture. So these are large numbers and these are big, very deep pocket companies. Umet? Well, um, Brent, you should, you know, reach out to Apple and ask them, you know, what's going on because they should probably be using NL2. Just want to throw that out there. I just um, may have. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's nice that um, to think about or to consider simply because, you know, we know that people are constantly listening, you know, to something throughout the course of the day, especially if you're at home, you're probably listening to maybe some music or a podcast. You're, you're, we're constantly on, you know, meetings, you know, Zoom or, or Teams or whatever. So there's, there's, you know, constant usage of, of, of our ears. And so um, with the, with that in introduction with the earbuds or, or any type of, you know, on-ear devices like that, um, the utility is key. And, and, and so I think in terms of like the decision-making that each of these companies are using, um, it's giving the general population an introduction to what this is going to be like to constantly be wearing something on our ears first and foremost. But the second thing that also to be considered for the long-term is, you know, if you're actually uh, supporting the the health, if you will, of the auditory system. This can actually go back to the discussions that we were having about, you know, uh, ways of kind of uh, prolonging, you know, the the introduction of of dementia or some type of cognitive decline. If if we're constantly, from this point of view, having some type of auditory uh, stimulation, and the important thing with that also is. Um, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, the, the importance behind that is, um, you know, that prevention is, is key. And we know right now, like within the United States, I think there's roughly like 45, 46 million individuals who are older than the age of 65. That's going to double essentially by 2050. And so this is something that, you know, that, that category of individuals who will be older than 65 by 2050, there's now is the time for, you know, that introduction of using earbuds and, and, and other types of uh, solutions for, for listening. Yeah, no, I agree. Kevin, did you have a point you wanted to make? Uh, yeah, you know, I'll just, um, uh, it's, it follows a similar train of thought to, to what Annette was just saying, but, you know, I think it, 
anything that gets people thinking about or treating their hearing loss earlier than they would have ordinarily is, is probably not a bad thing. Uh, and there's probably some good downstream effects for, for hearing care professionals uh, as well, even though you know that, that may represent uh, a device sale that you won't get to make. It also represents a patient who's now trying to do something and, and is empowering themselves to deal with a hearing loss that ordinarily may have just tried to you know, shove it under the rug and forget about it. Uh, and so I think the, the most important thing that we can do as hearing professionals right now is these devices and new functions from uh, you know, the big uh, kitchen table kind of names like Apple and Google uh, is to really think about you know, when you've got that patient who shows up at your clinic who's been using AirPods for five years to deal with their hearing difficulty, um, and now they're, they're coming to you saying, I think I've got a hearing loss and I'm having more and more trouble managing it. What does that conversation look like? And how do you take the experience and what they've already learned about their own preference and needs for a device from the AirPods and apply that to something that, that you can use? Or, or how do you simply determine even that uh, maybe whatever they figured out from uh, Apple or Google, you know, maybe, maybe you agree that that's appropriate, but how do you then offer them the service of counseling and uh, communication strategies and the other professional support that's so important that goes along with any technological solution. So, yeah, I, I, I do think, you know, even though it may be, it change is always scary, and we're certainly at the cusp of a pretty major overhaul in this industry. Uh, and so even though that, that does, that is a little bit anxiety inducing, I, I think there's a pretty a great amount of opportunity presented to the professional community as well to really change the way we think about how we practice and how we uh, treat patients and manage their hearing loss. Agreed. Uh, Ryan, did you have something you want to say? Yeah, I um, so agree with um, what everyone said so far. I'll just maybe take that one step further and um, and get into the how a little bit this might play out. And um, we certainly see this in other areas of wearables where um, if you take user experiences like what Apple has initiated with the um, atrial fib detection and the, the irregular heart monitoring, I could see something similar playing out with, with hearing health where they have a uh, one sensor that is constantly monitoring the heart rate, looking for irregular heart rate patterns and when it identifies a, a problem, it initiates a prompt to take an ECG reading. You could see something similar playing out with, now over longer periods of time, of course, as it relates to, to hearing health, but um, based on hearing patterns, voice patterns, device settings, those types of things, um, looking at, at how those patterns play out over time and initiating a prompt to see a hearing health professional and um, and uh, and help dial in that um, that hearing health device for their specific needs. So that's um, it, that's just one possibility. But you can start to see not just Apple, but you can start to see consumers getting conditioned to that user experience of wearing something on their body that they use for other things, but that is monitoring for uh, health conditions that then prompts them to. Um, that there may be an issue that they need to go see a professional about. Yeah, I think that's um, that's probably a really good way to think about it is that 
look at what Apple's doing with its own wearables and maybe use that as uh, sort of a baseline of, of where things might ultimately go, um, particularly for some of the uh, non-Apple products that still sort of fit into these niches. Um, you know, I look at a lot of these new age wearable companies, uh, Whoop, Aura, you know, Levels, all these new sort of companies that have come about. And I think the big thing that they've realized is that capturing data is just one aspect of the uh, what makes these devices compelling. What makes them really compelling is when you can turn it into actionable insight, whether that be, you know, helping them to see, okay, I need to do this and, and create some sort of lifestyle or behavioral change, um, or it might be something that is around your health and it can be a preventative health use case. And you think about the patient demographic for hearing aids, and that's where, for me, the sensor uh, integration gets really, really exciting is to think about, just as you mentioned there, you know, um, hearing aids of tomorrow being able to alert you that you have a potential threat to your health. You know, it's capturing so much data. It's created a baseline and longitudinal data set. It's just benchmarking against itself to see I've now registered something that is an anomaly to your data. And, and I think that's where this can get really interesting. And, and again, I think this ties into the broader sort of healthcare ecosystem that I think hearing aids would then play into, which is I I do wonder, like, what does that do in terms of uh, the perception that, say, a cardiologist has or any one of the different specialties where they already are looking to outfit their patient with, um, you know, a heart rate monitor of some sort? Does that then change the conversation to include potentially a hearing aid as being that device, given the high compliance that you would have with it, the all day wear, and maybe that patient fits the bill of somebody that might have hearing loss? You know, we, we talk about the interconnectivity of devices and the internet of things. I think what we may be seeing, given what you said, is the interconnectivity of healthcare providers. So if the audiologist sees something wrong with the sensor data from the hearing aid, they're not going to solve it themselves. They're going to print out that data, give it to the patient, say, you might want to go talk to a cardiologist, your GP, a balanced person. And, and make referrals and, and, and maybe know who to send them to. But that's, I think that's spot on Brent. And I think that's, you know, I, I think that the provider wouldn't be well suited to try to tackle, you know, the cardiologist job. But I think that given that if, if there is a device that needs to be worn, um, I think that the, you know, the hearing aid professional really is in a, in an interesting position right now because of the, to, you know, as Ryan described it, it is such a good place for that capture. And you think about the fact that it's all they wear. So it's exciting to think about. And I think that's a really good way to, to frame it is the interconnectedness of healthcare, um, which kind of dovetails into one of the last topics that I wanted to talk about. I know that we're getting close to the hour here, um, but that's remote services. And obviously, you know, we were kind of joking at the beginning of this about how, you know, it's been now one year since the really since the start of the pandemic, or at least in the US when things started to really shut down. Um, I know like the NBA, for example, it's it was the one year anniversary on Sunday. And so, um, you know, here we are a year later. And if nothing else, I think that we can now recognize that there has been a huge aha realization amongst the general population that 
you know, we've all sort of undergone this behavioral change where we're all now pretty acclimated with Zoom and all these different virtual um, type settings. And I know that the initial uptake of, of remote services, um, you know, there was a spike at the beginning of the pandemic and then it sort of fizzled out. But I do think that, um, you know, at large within the healthcare ecosystem, remote services and telehealth is, uh, is really kind of uh, coming into its own. And there just seems to be so many great applications for um, remote services in this industry that it seems obvious that it has to play some sort of role, you know, as we head into the future. So I want to get everybody's thoughts on um, how they see remote services, uh, you know, really kind of taking hold in this. And, you know, obviously maybe there's some limitations. So I'd be curious if there are any in your mind where, it's going to be really hard to solve that. And therefore it's always going to warrant that particular element for an in-person visit. But in general, what's everybody think about the, uh, the trajectory of remote services? Maybe we'll start with you, Brent. Yeah. So, you know, at the, at NAL, we've done a lot of research into the benefits of remote care. And one, we, we, we surveyed attitudes of patients and audiologists towards them. And what we found is if you've never experienced telehealth, you really don't like it. You think it's going to hurt your relationship and the care you get. If you've experienced it, you flip. You actually realize it does help with that relationship and it, it does give you excellent care. We've also done uh, sort of uh, balanced studies comparing complete face-to-face -face services versus where you substitute a visit with remote care. Again, same patient outcomes, same benefits. And, you know, the largest service provider in Australia during COVID pivoted to telehealth uh, immediately, and, and, and we got data on that showing, uh, again, the same patient outcomes in terms of satisfaction with their devices and with their quality of life. However, what we're seeing in Australia, it's been almost two months since we, we've had a COVID case. So we're back to normal-ish down here, and telehealth is disappearing. So people are reverting right back to face-to-face -to -face and not using the tools anymore that are being developed. And I, that's really disappointing, but perhaps not surprising given that we are creatures of habit and we like doing what we're used to doing. Um, and so I, I haven't heard of any place where telehealth has accelerated like we would have thought it would over the past year. And my concern is we're gonna go back to the old way, even though all this technology is sitting there waiting to be used. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that there's, I've seen some data that, that suggests um, that's definitely what's happened in the hearing health industry. And I think at large it's happening um, to a degree. And I, and I wonder if what we're seeing is sort of like, you know, what it's going to look like in 10 years and that we're, we're sort of resetting back down to the bottom and then it will be a gradual uptake again, but going again off of what Annette was saying at sort of the beginning of the conversation, this idea of that real-time relay, and maybe it's more asynchronous. It doesn't necessarily have to be like live interfacing with the professional, but this ability to capture information and then be sharing it, um, and not necessarily done just automatically, but that opportunity where it's, I'm in a, a, a challenging situation that I frequent all the time, the conference room, a noisy pub, whatever it might be, um, being able to capture that in some sense and be able to more or less kind of replicate that acoustic environment for your professional so that they can see, okay, here's the way that we're going to need to compensate for that. I think, again, just it 
dramatically enhances the value of the provider. And I think that's going to be the name of the game across the next like 10 to 15 to 20 years is in a world where, uh, you know, devices themselves become rather commoditized um, and, and you'll, you'll have premium level features and you'll have other, you know, more commodity features. Um, the value of the provider, I think, is going to be on the service, the expertise and their, their knowledge. And so it's a matter of how do you make that extensible as possible and, and really make that uh, be able to be amplified. So going back to your point, Annette, I mean, how are you all thinking about this in terms of enabling those sorts of remote things that in the past had been sort of like people having to replicate it just by describing it? Well, I mean, the first thing that um, I kind of want to address is that I bet nobody here or even in the audience would have figured that the proof of concept for remote care or remote audiology would be a pandemic. So um, when we're talking about the utility, I mean, yes, it's been successful. Yes, there are um, there, there is, you know, a decline because some people just want to have that face-to-face -face interaction. But there's, I think there's two things to look at here. The first is that if the patient is coming in for like a checkup, if you will, um, maybe that is something that can be done remotely. And, and I think it really revolves around the triage for, um, for the particular visit. Because if there is something, for example, wrong with the hearing aid, chances are, you know, a professional should be taking a closer look at that because even if it's something as small as, you know, the dome is stuck or there's wax or maybe like the microphone is blocked or, you know, the, the battery is, or, or the, the, the sensor is flashing. So, you know, there's, there's something that's going on there that might not be very easy to, um, to resolve, you know, remotely. And, and that face-to-face -face interaction might be all it takes, you know, to resolve that issue. Uh, I'm not saying that that will happen all the time, but again, I think it also depends on, you know, the, the scenario that you're dealing with. Um, but on the, uh, the, the second part of that though, I think is um, based off of preferences. So when we actually were talking about our remote care product, you know, in my head, I'm, I'm from upstate New York. So I'm thinking nobody wants to go out when there's like six feet of snow on the ground. I mean, well, maybe the people from Buffalo or Syracuse, but like, you know, everybody is like, you know, if the roads are bad, they're older, you know, they, they might not want to be, you know, dealing with, you know, ice conditions. You know, I was thinking actually the winter time, you know, a lot of people might, you might see an uptick of, of remote care in the North. But the funny thing is, and I never thought about this because I have never lived in the South, but if you're in Arizona, for example, in, in the dead of summer, it's pretty warm there. And they might, you know, people might not want to, you know, leave for the same reasons because it's just too hot. So I think, you know, when it comes to remote uh, audiology and, and remote care in general, there's, there's, you know, time and a place for it. And I think there are really smart solutions you know, in very specific use cases. And I think that's actually what needs to be addressed. When are those use cases coming up and how to best proceed? Agreed. Kevin, Ryan, do you have any thoughts? I, I was just gonna add in, you know, I think um, the, the COVID pandemic definitely taught the industry how great remote care can be for instances like what Annette was just talking about, where there's six feet of snow on the ground and you can't get out of the house. I mean, 
those instances where visits in person are just not possible. I think any audiologist or hearing care professional at this point who has tried remote care has probably figured out from some level of experience that even if they don't feel like it's perfect and they don't have a great workflow for it yet, that the functionality is there and they could probably make it work. But, um, you know, ironically enough, this pandemic that taught everybody that lesson in this hard way completely prevented the industry and the patients who see us from realizing that secondary benefit that you had mentioned, Dave, which is the ability to go out and rather than try to remember, you know, two weeks ago when I was at my favorite restaurant, what specifically was difficult about it, um, you know, that, that's the other big possible advantage for, for telecare and audiology is being able to, in, as opposed to trying to remember, tell the person, you know, go out to eat and call me from the restaurant and we'll make some changes and figure it out while you're there in the moment. And, and the COVID pandemic completely blocked anybody from being able to realize that type of benefit. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but, you know, hopefully uh, now that, uh, well, not now that things are getting back to normal, but with an optimistic eye to the future and some vaccines coming online, uh, if things can get back to normal, uh, my, my, my sincere hope is that we start to see people, once they've had that sort of correction to get back into their old ways of doing things and feeling comfortable again and confident, um, that they will start to then think about the new ways that they can apply remote care when it's not an absolute necessity, um, but it's just a, a factor to help them provide better care to the patient. Well said. So as we sort of come to the close here, uh, why don't we just go around? Um, we'll start with you, Ryan. Um, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about sensors and your world, but just in general, what are you excited about? What's uh, what, what do you get really excited about with this space uh, in, into the next few years that you want to share that maybe we haven't covered? Yeah, I, I am really excited, really passionate about obviously the sensor technology, but also that, that technology becoming more and more ubiquitous and becoming more and more, um, uh, just behind the scenes in uh, in devices that people already wear and collecting this data, applying that machine learning. But where I get really excited is is getting to uh, the point where we can get into predictive models of being able to identify uh, when someone is headed down the wrong path at at any in any form of uh, health and wellness and help them avert going down that that bad path uh, through, uh, through the use of devices and sensor technology and AI and machine learning and a bunch of the other things we've talked about here. Um, I think that's where you're really gonna start to see a huge public health impact uh, for these types of devices and scenarios. Yeah, I agree. How about you, Brent? So, you know, I've been involved in innovation and technology my whole career. So for me, that's a little bread and butter. What, what, what I'm excited right now is innovation in service provision, because we really haven't seen much advancement in how people get hearing help. And we're seeing a ton of new models coming out. You've got the blended service model, like from companies like Lively. Uh, you've got self-fitting. You've got, we're going to have direct-to-consumer we talked about, you know, the service is not just about hearing, it can be about other healthcare issues. To me, that's really exciting though. The business model of our field is going to be changing dramatically over the next couple of years. 
and that's opportunity for everyone, in, including new new technologies and new solutions. Well said, uh, Kevin. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think we're really turning a corner where ear level devices are are truly going to support quality of life in a more holistic sense. You know, we've uh, I think everybody in the audience can attest to the fact that uh, hearing aids for for uh, as long as they've been around have supported quality of life when it comes to uh, communication and social connection. But uh, but I think with with the advent of some of the new technology that's starting to show up in ear level devices, whether it's in traditional hearing aids or from companies like Apple and Google, uh, we're we're really about to see a really holistic idea. Uh, of the patient come into view uh, for hearing care professionals. Uh, and it, it's really going to give us a way to uh, expand the way that we see our services uh, and our expertise fitting into the patient's life and, and into their own health uh, going forward. Love it. And Annette. So um, I, I feel that hearing aids or anything ear level, they're just a piece of the puzzle especially when you talk about, you know, the overarching, you know, discussion related to health for any individual. But I think that, you know, in combination with hearing aids, with, you know, the interactions that people will have with service providers, the way that um, we're utilizing the hearing aids in general, especially with sensors, um, it's, it's going to provide so much more information in, in a more robust way. And, um, and when you think about it like that, you know, in my opinion, you know, you, you have these individuals who might be a little bit more keen on like what they're learning, not just about their hearing, but about, you know, their bodies as a whole. And, and that can actually give them more freedom, if you will, if they want to stay living at home for longer, because you know that, you know, there's this big push right now for aging in place. And, um, and there's a number of different reasons why there is that push now, but, um, but, you know, this is one of those ways, you know, as Ryan is going back to his discussion about sensors, I mean, this is, this is another way of being able to keep tabs without necessarily, you know, constantly being bombarded by, you know, uh, appointments or visits or going from one place to another to be able to, you know, just make sure that, you know, they're on top of everything that they need to be health-wise. And, and that actually goes back to uh, Kevin's point about uh, quality of life as well. So I think, I think it's just um, exciting, actually, to think about everything that is on the horizon and uh, making sure that we're being able to use all the technology uh, available to, uh, to, to best represent you know, a patient's best life. Yeah, no, I think you all hit the nail on the head. This has been such a good conversation. Um, I know I subscribe to, to Brent's theory that you know, I think we're moving toward a point where just about everybody's wearing things in and around their ears. And for me, I think one of the most exciting things when you look at just the sheer proliferation of, you know, all these different in-ear devices is that at a certain point, you know, people stop looking at each other's ears, you know, it's like what, and, and I think that that direct result is that maybe the stigma kind of starts to die. Um, you know, is there, 
is there a stigma that's warranted when nobody even knows why anybody's wearing anything in their ear? You know, it's like, there's a hundred different things that you could be doing with it. And it seems like that list of things just continues to grow. And um, so the, as the world of audio expands and as the world of, you know, the sensor fusion and all the cool things that we talked about today, I think it just increases the amount of reasons people want to have different things in their ears. And kind of to Brent's point, you know, it's like, hearing augmentation, it could be the key feature of the device, or it might just be like a secondary benefit. Um, I saw Qualcomm's state of play report. They cited 40% of, of the survey respondents that they, uh, you know, uh, surveyed said that uh, they were interested in having conversational enhancement as a feature for their devices. And another market research firm, Future Source, found it to be 60%. So, there seems to be this huge demand that's building right now. And I think that as we kind of highlighted throughout this conversation, some of that might be geared toward hearing aids. Some of it might be geared toward more, you know, consumer type devices that might just have this all as a sort of additional benefit. But regardless, I think that this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, Really, really enjoyed all the different input and insight that you all shared. Uh, So this now concludes uh, our future of devices panel here at the uh, Future of Hearing Healthcare virtual conference. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.